I want to introduce you to Harry Mahet. He is going to be speaking this morning, and that gives a little bio background of him. Someone may be saying, you know, Pastor Ken, why, why are we having someone from Liberty Council come? Why are we having, particularly in a, a year of election, why are, we, why are we doing this? If you remember, one of our essentials is truth. It goes this way. Proclaim truth for the purpose of personal growth and practical application through his word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As we evaluated the church, one of the things that we, as we looked at it, our, our shortcomings was the practical application. And we have good Bible teaching, good uh, messages. We encourage your own personal Bible study. Uh, we have Bible sessions for young adults, teens, as well as men and women. Um, but one of the things we felt we were falling short on is the practical application of truth. And one of the things that having Harry here today, he's going to share his testimony, obviously, with us. But what, what, how do you translate being a Christian and being in, to being involved in politics? Sometimes we say, well, we, just, we trust in the sovereignty of God. Well, absolutely. But as we pointed out this morning, that doesn't negate your responsibility. You have a personal responsibility. That's, a, that's the tension. That's the interesting tension there in Scripture. You got a sovereign, but you're responsible. You're still going to be held responsible. Uh, even though he, it's all in his hands, uh, you still have responsibility to be faithful and to carry out his word and be true to it. So we're happy to have Harry with us this morning. It'd be a real blessing, I, I believe, to you and encouragement. Why don't you come at this time, Harry? Go ahead and introduce your family to us, and then take over. Thank you. Morning, church. I'm uh, so glad to be here this morning. I've got my beautiful wife, uh, Tammy, and my uh, two young boys, Nathan and Gabriel, uh, here with us. Thank you all so much for uh, having us with you today. My eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. I don't know about you, church, but I am so glad this morning to have the freedom to be worshiping the one true God. To have the freedom to be worshiping the God of truth this morning. And to be able to do so in a beautiful church without any fear or intimidation. I'm here this morning to talk to you about a subject that is so very near and dear to my heart, and that is the subject of freedom. Now, freedom, in my native language, is libertate. I know it's still early, but I want you all to say that with me. On the count of three, we're going to say libertate. One, two, three. Libertate. One more time. Libertate. For the first 12 years of my life, I had no idea what libertate meant in any language. And that's because I grew up in a country where there was no libertate. In fact, a country where the very mention of the word could cause you to be arrested and sent away to a labor camp never to be heard from again. Communist Romania ruled by an oppressive and repressive regime that absolutely hated libertate and hated God himself and was determined to do anything in its power to stamp out 
and to suppress both. A regime so cruel that its sole purpose and mission was to subjugate and to enslave its people, to make them dependent on the government from the cradle unto the grave. They did this first and foremost by taking away the basic necessities from the people. Things that we take for granted in this country, like food and water, were in short supply. My memories from my childhood in communist Romania aren't so much from spending time playing on the playground with my friends as they are from waiting in long lines, two hours here to buy bread, two hours here to buy meat, two hours here to buy milk, and so on and so forth. Electricity went off like clockwork every night. We spent the night by candlelight. Hot water we had two nights a week, Tuesday night and Saturday night. And you better take care of your needs when the communists say that you can have hot water. They gave us universal health care, free and available to all. But you know, experience and common sense taught us that there's one thing to have universal health care and completely another to have the courage to actually use it. Because no matter what your condition was going into a communist hospital, you stood a very good chance of never coming back out alive. Life in communist Romania was difficult for all Romanians. But it was especially difficult for my family. Because you see, by the grace of God, I wasn't just born in communist Romania. I was born into a family of Christians in communist Romania. In fact, my father pastored 17 churches at one point, many of them underground, underground because the communists had declared war on Christianity, war on God himself. So the people had to meet in secret. I remember so often my father would finish preaching a sermon from the pulpit and he would go out to meet the people at the end only to be met himself by the secret police, all-powerful, all-present secret police who would take him away for nothing more than having preached the Word of God in church. The secret police demanded total submission, total subjection, and total surrender. And so the realities of my childhood were things like seeing the horror on my parents' face as they found microphones hidden hidden right inside our home, or coming face-to-face with German shepherd dogs that had been trained to sniff out, not bodies after an earthquake, but Bibles, the ultimate contraband. Total submission, total subjection, total surrender. But you see, in the midst of those difficulties and in the midst of those trials and persecutions. Every so often, God would send us a ray of hope, a ray of sunshine. And it came to us in the form of missionaries, dear brothers and sisters from a faraway land who risked their lives and their livelihoods to smuggle God's word into our country. And whenever they came, my friends, they came 
and they shared with us so much more than God's word in our own language. See, in the quiet of the night, they would whisper to us stories about a place that they called the land of the free. They told us that in the land of the free, people had the freedom to worship God however they wanted, to worship God not only in beautiful churches that were above ground, but out on the sidewalk, in the streets. They told us that in the land of the free, they filled up stadiums with thousands and thousands of Christians worshiping God in complete freedom. And they told us these things, and we had no idea what they were talking about. We couldn't even comprehend that such freedom could actually exist. We didn't know what it was, but we knew that we wanted to experience it for ourselves. And so we begged God, we pleaded with God to let us experience that kind of freedom. And ultimately, He did. 1989, just a week or so before Christmas, I was only 12 at the time, but I remember it like it was yesterday. Right in the city where I was living, the revolution started. People came out and began to demand freedom after 45 years of communist oppression. 400,000 people gathered in the city square the day before they could get shot or sent away simply for mentioning, whispering the word freedom. Now they were there to demand freedom for themselves and the entire country. And I remember watching the tanks come in. I remember hearing the bullets fly and people, thousands of people, losing their lives because they wanted to be free. It was a quick and a swift revolution, though. And on Christmas Eve, the people were able to seize control of their government. They captured the dictator that had enslaved them, gave him a swift military trial, and on Christmas Day in 1989, at 12 years old, I finally woke up for the first time understanding and experiencing freedom and how joyous it was to be able to do that. It was only a couple of months after that that God had answered the prayers of a 12-year-old boy and He gave my family and I the opportunity to come to the land of the free. And friends, I remember that day in February 1990 when we first stepped foot in the promised land. It was a day that I will never forget. We instantly realized that everything that we had heard about the land of the free was true, that this is the land of the free, that this, this is the most blessed nation on the face of the earth. Not just because I wouldn't have to share an orange with my brother and sister once a year, but because this was the place where we had the freedom to worship God as one of our most basic freedoms. And so because of that, in a short time, I grew to love this country and to love it as my own. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, that I love the United States of America. I love it with a passion. I love everything that we stand for. I love the heritage of faith and freedom 
that we inherited from our fathers. And because of that love, my friends, my heart breaks this morning when I consider what is happening to freedom in the land of the free. Unless you're living under a rock, you know that we're living in a day and an age when freedom is under attack. Under attack by powerful, well-funded forces who are attempting to wipe out freedom in the land of the free, who are attempting to radically transform and change our country away from the, the freedom that we inherited, the freedoms that we were founded upon, the ideals and the values of our fathers, and to turn it into something that looks an awful lot like communist Romania, a place where anything and everything goes except genuine Christianity, a place devoid of any kind of a moral compass. You want to wipe out the name of God from our monuments and our buildings, our money, our national motto, and our Pledge of Allegiance. This coming Tuesday, I'm going to be in a federal court of appeals in Atlanta, Georgia, trying to plead with three judges on that court of appeal to overturn the decision of one judge in Gainesville that decided that a monument of the Ten Commandments placed by a private citizen in front of the courthouse in Dixie County, Florida, is not unconstitutional like the ACLU contends and like this one judge in Gainesville decided. There's a campaign to radically transform the entire landscape of our country. And not only to rid the name of God from our buildings and our monuments, but also to silence those who would proclaim the name of God in public. Susan Pine was a client that we, we've been defending for the last two years at Liberty Council. <laughs> she, for 20 years, she had been spending her Saturday mornings in front of an abortion clinic, pleading with mothers not to kill their children and doing nothing more but that. And two years ago, our United States government decided to take her to court for that very act. They tried to fine her $10,000 and evict her from the sidewalk, notwithstanding her First Amendment right to speak her conscience and to speak truth, even to those who didn't want to hear it. A two-year-long battle against her own government. Imagine you're, you're at home one day, you open up your mail, and you get a document that tells you you are now a defendant in a court action. And who's bringing the action against you? No one other than your own government, the United States of America versus Susan Pine. Your tax dollars at work against her. Susan has rare courage, though, and for the last two years, even while she was defending her, her freedom, she was continuing to do the same exact thing. Every Saturday morning, like clockwork, she would be there. And she'd send me an email every now and then, Harry, we saved another baby today. What courage. Her story ends uh, very well because last week we were able to defeat Attorney General Eric Holder in court. His lawsuit was tossed out of court as lacking any merit 
And while he sued Susan to try to find her with $10,000, he's ending up writing a check 12 times that amount to Susan for, for filing a frivolous lawsuit against her. Praise God for that awesome victory. There are so many others like Susan who are experiencing the weight and the crush of the ACLU, of the government, of other people who would silence their Christian beliefs and their Christian faiths. Jerry Buell, a client we represented last summer, is at home. He, he teaches social studies to high schoolers where, among other things, he is teaching the virtues of the Constitution and of the First Amendment, right? One summer day... School is not even in session. He is at home in his personal house, in his personal living room, on his personal computer, on his personal Facebook page. He writes that he believes that marriage is a holy institution ordained by God between one man and one woman and that he cannot support homosexual marriage because he believes that it is a sin. He teaches First Amendment in school it didn't even pass through his mind that he couldn't express that opinion that a majority in our country still hold, especially Christians. Well, he goes to school a week later, school starts, and imagine his surprise when he's told that he is not fit to be in his classroom. He is suspended from his school because of his radical and offensive beliefs, he is told. They wouldn't even let him go into his class to collect his belongings because he might harm children with his radical and offensive ideas about marriage. And so we defended him, and fortunately we won that case. In five days he was returned to his classroom where he belonged and where he's a leader. Essentially, uh, incidentally, he had been voted teacher of the year that same year. How ironic. Natalie Johnson, another client we defended last year, works at Macy's. Okay, she uh, is, is doing her job as a clerk at Macy's. One day, she is approached by a man dressed as a woman who wants to try on clothes in the women's dressing room. It was a no-brainer to Natalie Johnson. She said, I'm sorry, I, I need to protect the, the, the women and the children who are there. I can't let you go in there. Common sense, Right? This person doesn't take no for an answer, summons the manager. The manager comes in after a little heated debate. Natalie Johnson is fired for being bigoted and for offending this customer. Can you imagine? Fired from her job because she spoke truth, common sense, truth. Last week, we just began to defend a new client, Pastor Scott Lively, who was traveling through Uganda not too long ago, preaching, among other things, a biblical view of homosexuality and how the Bible calls it a sin and how the Bible offers hope and how Jesus can have the power to cleanse any sin. He comes back to the United States and last week, he gets slapped with a federal lawsuit filed in New York by a group called Sexual Minorities Uganda, or SMUG, 
Smug sues Pastor Scott Lively in a federal court in the United States because he committed hate crimes when he was in Africa. And it says in the lawsuit, we know you all have the First Amendment in the United States, but guess what? International law trumps the United States Constitution, trumps the First Amendment. And they're looking to fine him because he spoke truth. Ladies and gentlemen, truth has become the new hate speech in the society we live in. This, these forces that I'm talking about are way past the point where they're simply trying to marginalize Christianity or to confine it into the four walls of the church. We're way past that point. Now we're at a point where we're trying to silence Christians in the public square and even more so to criminalize Christianity in the land of the free. Did you hear what I said? To criminalize Christianity in the land of the free? Oh, Harry, you're using hyperbole now. Come on. It can't be that bad. September 17, 2009, found me inside a federal courthouse in Pensacola, Florida, seated next to two gentlemen, Frank Lay and Robert Freeman, one a high school principal, the other one his athletic director. They had been serving their community for a combined 70 years. And they were my clients in a criminal trial. They had been indicted as criminals by the United States government. The indictment against them warned them that if they are found guilty of their crime, they would go to jail for six months, be fined thousands of dollars each, and worse, forfeit a lifetime of retirement service or credits that they had accumulated. Because the state of Florida, they were told, does not provide a retirement to convicted felons. What was their crime? What did they do? They had a luncheon at their public high school for the athletic boosters, people who had contributed money to help build a new field house at their public high school. All of them adults, they bring them in to thank them, then they serve them a meal. And they do what most of us, I think, still do before we eat our meal. They say, let's bow our heads and say a prayer of blessing over the food we're about to eat. A 15-second prayer for their food. One day, they are loved citizens serving their communities. And on September 17, 2009, incidentally, it was National Constitution Day. They are in federal court with their fortune and freedom on the line as indicted criminals. I wish you could have been there to see the irony. You couldn't escape it. Federal courthouse with all of its pomp and circumstance, huge picture on the wall depicting our founding fathers signing the Declaration of Independence, many of them on their knees asking God for His help and protection for our country. The great seal of the United States above the, the bench says, In God we trust. The bailiff calls the courtroom to order and he says, All rise, God save the United States of America and God save this honorable court. 
witness after witness comes in to, to uh, testify what they had seen, to testify against what Frank and Robert had done. But before they do, they raise their right hand and they say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. All of these prayers, all of these reminders of our heritage and our foundational values happening in this federal courthouse while Frank and Robert are a whisper away from jail because they prayed. It's not a hyperbole, folks. This is what we are dealing with in the land of the free. And you might be hearing some of these things this morning. And you might be tempted to ask them, is there any hope left for freedom in the land of the free? Or are we doomed to repeat history and to face total submission, total subjection, and total surrender now in the land of the free? And friends, I'm here this morning to tell you that the answer to that question is absolutely, positively, without a doubt, yes, there is still hope for freedom in the land of the free. I believe that God is not yet finished with our country. He hasn't yet raised His hand of blessing from our country. I believe that there is a, an awakening that's happening that is going to happen. The church is not going to be asleep forever. Freedom will ultimately triumph, and the land of the free will ultimately be preserved. I got just a short glimpse of that in the, in the case in Pensacola with Frank Clay and Robert Freeman. And I get a glimpse of it every time that we win one of these battles in court. But on that particular day, while we were in court pleading the cause of the Constitution and of these two gentlemen, I remember how thousands of people came from all across the United States to pray right outside in front of that courthouse. They began to circle that courthouse just like the Israelites circled Jericho seven times. One of them even had the foresight to bring a shofar, one of those horns. And every time they were in front of that door, he would blow through that shofar and we'd hear it up in the courtroom. And I remember praying, God, please don't let these walls fall down while I'm still inside. And those physical walls did not fall down on September 17, 2009. But friends the walls of the enemy came crumbling down. And at the end of that day, Frank Lay and Robert Freeman were found not guilty of the crime of prayer. And they were sent home to be free men. We see God's hand and God's providence in all that we do. And so that's why I can say without any doubt this morning, that yes, there is still hope for freedom in the land of the free. What can you do to protect it? Let me give you four quick things, my friends. First and foremost, I believe that people of faith across this country must become once again people of prayer across this country. The Lord tells us in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. He promises to us, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then 
I will hear their prayer. I will hear from heaven and I will come down and I will heal their land. Is our land in need of healing today, brothers and sisters? Have you asked God for it? You see, God isn't waiting for the ACLU. He's not waiting for the adversaries of freedom to call upon His name and to turn from their wicked ways. He's talking about who? My people, His church, me, and you. I think we need to become people of prayer. We need to pray earnestly and fervently for our nation, for our leaders, for our Congress, for our judges. We need to pray for ministries like Liberty Council that God continues to grant us victory in the fight that we find ourselves in. We need to pray for our adversaries, organizations like the ACLU. Pray that they would have this Damascus Road experience that Paul had. And if not, pray that their efforts are confused and confounded and ultimately unsuccessful. We need to become a people of prayer. The second thing I think we ought to do, I think we must do, is very simple. We need to vote. Folks, let me tell you, we live in a democracy where elections have consequences. Elections many times are decided by just a few thousand votes. One church body could make a difference whether it stays home or shows up to vote. And the tragedy is that although we have the the right and the ability to vote, 50% of the people in our country forfeit and abdicate that right and that responsibility. And it's a travesty. I wish I could tell you that the statistic is different in the church than it is in the world, but it's the same. 50% of people who call themselves Christians don't even bother to show up to vote. Folks, that is not only a right that we have, that is a responsibility that we have. It's how we get to be salt and light in a lost and dying world. It is our prophetic voice and our prophetic mission to our country. We must vote. By the way, you can't vote unless you're registered to vote. And you'd be surprised how many people, even inside a church like this, are not even registered to vote. Whenever I talk about voting, I'm invariably asked, well, tell us, how should we vote? Who should we vote for? Don't worry, Pastor, I'm not going to start making any endorsements this morning. But let me tell you that it is high time in our country that Christians vote their biblical values, that they vote not with their pocketbook, that they vote not for the person who has the best transportation plan, the best jobs plan, or the best foreign policy, but for the person who will uphold our biblical values. And I have found in my personal voting practice one surefire test on how you can tell where a candidate stands with respect to biblical values. And that's going to be dependent on where they stand on the issue of life. My friends, our Declaration of Independence says that we hold these truths to be self-evident 
that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's not an accident that our founders put life ahead of the other rights. The right to life is the most basic of all human rights. Without life, everything else is meaningless. The right to property and prosperity and happiness are meaningless to a corpse, right? Show me a candidate who understands the value of life from conception to the grave, and I'll show you a candidate who more often than not understands all of the other things that matter. How can you have a proper understanding of the role of government when you don't understand its most basic function is to protect all human life. We need to be people who vote. We need to vote our biblical values. And we need to vote to uphold life. Nothing else matters if life is not protected. Number three. We need to speak out. Folks, the difference between adversity and opportunity is more often than not the courage of a godly man or woman having the courage of their convictions to take a stand and to speak truth even to those who don't want to hear it. Folks like Susan Pine and Jerry Buell and Frank Lay and Robert Freeman, they could have avoided all their problems and all of their controversy if they had just been good little Americans and sat quietly and not done anything to rock the boat and voluntarily given up their right to speak truth. Truth is the new hate speech, my friends. And what God is looking for are people of courage, people who are not going to be afraid to, procre to proclaim truth, not just in the church view on Sunday, but in your community, in your workplace in your circles of influence speak truth in love but speak the truth and don't shy away from it are you standing up for truth and for freedom or have you sold out like so many others have folks at liberty council one of our missions is to keep people informed about things that are taking place in our country, in our nation, and in your community, so that you have not only the knowledge, but the ability and the tools that you need to engage your, your circles of influence and to speak truth to those who need to hear it. And so one thing I would encourage you to do if uh, you're here this morning, I've got some of these response cards on the table in the front. If you just give us your name, your address and your email address, your phone number. Check out the box here that you would be praying for the Ministry of Liberty Council. We'd be happy to add you to our list. We're not going to flood your inbox with dozens and dozens of messages, but we're going to let you know when a bill is coming up for consideration in your legislature, who to call and what you can do to speak the truth to those who need to hear it. So I'd encourage you to let us know that you're here and that you want to hear from us, and we'll empower you and equip you to speak the truth. The fourth and the final thing that you can do to protect freedom 
can pray, you can vote, you can speak, and you can support the ministry of Liberty Council and other groups like us who are out there on the front lines every day fighting to, pre to protect and preserve freedom in the land of the free. God has been so gracious to our ministry. We can see His hand clearly upon us. He has granted us victory in over 92% of the cases that we're able to take on. 92%. And yet we never charge a dime for the work that we do because our mission in our ministry is to, to make sure that every child of God who needs legal representation has it and doesn't have to worry about how much it's going to cost them. You don't have to think about before you speak truth, hey, is it going to cost my, my fortune if I end up having to, to, to give an account for what I've said? All of our work is pro bono, which means that we are dependent 100% for our existence on the people of God to support us. Now, I've got bad news and I've got good news for you this morning. The bad news is that the adversaries, the ACLU and other groups like them, have hundreds of millions of dollars, and they've used those unlimited resources to raise up hundreds and hundreds of lawyers to file hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits all across this country in an attempt to drown us in litigation, to drown us in paper. That's the bad news. The good news this morning is that we serve a God who is much bigger and much stronger than their paper. Amen? We don't need to match the ACLU dollar for dollar or lawyer for lawyer in order to fight to protect liberty in this country. I can't tell you how oftentimes this scenario has happened. It's, I've lost track of it. It's going to happen on Thursday when I show up to court in Atlanta. But I'll walk inside a, a courtroom and I'll, I'll sit at the table of the accused. I'm sitting there by myself and I'm looking over at the other table and I see how the ACLU has brought four, five, six, nine lawyers in the case of Frank and Robert Freeman. Nine lawyers. They have unlimited resources so they can send nine lawyers. It doesn't matter to them. And I'm sitting there at my table and I can't help but laugh inside. I'm thinking, how is this going to be a fair fight? I mean, I have... God and the Constitution on my side, and all you brought is nine lawyers? How is this going to be a fair fight? The Word of God reminds us in 2 Kings 6.16, the prophet Elisha tells his servant to look up and see. He says, do not be afraid, because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. One of my life verses is Psalm 27. Some trust in chariots. Others trust in horses. But we, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The good news this morning is we don't need hundreds of millions of dollars and hundreds and thousands of lawyers to protect freedom in the land of the free. All we need to do is show up. When we show up, God gives us victory 92% of the time. We win 92% of the cases where we show up. But you know what? We lose 100% of the cases where we don't show up. Nothing breaks my heart more than having to lose by default simply because we couldn't show up.
And so let me end with this other piece of good news, my friends. Gideon didn't need 30,000 or 10,000 people in order to, to uh, uh, prevail over the Midianites, right? God used 300 people. And you know what? We have found that 300 people giving $1 a day, $30 a month, can help fund one lawyer's position and salary and all of his activity at Liberty Council for an entire year. 300 people who will say, I can give up two cups of coffee a week. God is telling me that I can find 300 people in southwest Florida to form up a Gideon squad, maybe even a couple in this church. And if that's you, you can use that same response card to let us know that you will stand with us in order to protect freedom in the land of the free. That hymn that I began with, one of the verses, says, In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in His bosom. He transfigures you and me. As He died to make men holy, let us live to make men free. His truth is marching on. However you choose to respond this morning, let us make sure that we are living to help make men free. Thank you. God bless you. I'll turn it over to Pastor Ken.